This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. During the winter of 2022 and 2023, which are the months of December, January, and February, we're studying the first 11 chapters of John. We've got two more lessons. Today, we're looking at session 12. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Mike Livingston. Mike, thank you for being with us once again this week. Thank you. We are looking at John chapter 10. We're looking at verses 7 through 14 and 25 through 30. The main point that we're going to be focusing on is Jesus is the good shepherd who takes care of his sheep. We've outlined these passages, the gate, the true shepherd, and the securing shepherd. Verses 7 through 10, we've identified as the gate in our outline. In these verses, Jesus proclaimed himself to be the entry gate for the sheep. All others are thieves and robbers. Only he can give life to the sheep. The life Jesus gives is abundant in every way. The main point for us, believers find abundant life through faith in Jesus. The second point, true shepherd, comes to verses 11 through 14 of John chapter 10. In these verses, Jesus compared himself to a good shepherd who willingly dies for his sheep. Hired workers will run away when they see danger, but not Jesus. He knows his sheep and they know him. The takeaway for us is that believers can trust Jesus to protect them. The last part of our outline looks at verses 25 through 30 of John 10, which we've entitled the securing shepherd. In these verses, we find Jesus being asked if he was the Messiah and Jesus pointing to his works. He also stated that they chose to not believe because they were not his sheep. He reminded them that his sheep hear him and follow him. He promised to give his sheep eternal life that would be secured forever. His ability to secure them is based on him being God and therefore greater than all. Our key point for us is that believers can know that we are secure in Jesus's hand. Now, Mike, we've already noted that there are seven I am statements in the gospel of John. Some of them are in the first half, the first 11 chapters, some are in the second half. But interesting to note here in John 10, two of those I am statements are included. I am the door, or I am the gate, depending on which translation, and I am the good shepherd. That's John 10, 7 and 9, and John 10, 11 and 14. So we're going to talk to them about that here in a little bit, about the imagery that's used here. But let's first of all talk about John 10, 10, the abundant life. How does the Bible define abundant life? Yeah, I, I came so that they might have life and have it in abundance, um, or uh, depending on your translation, so they might have it more more abundantly or might have life to the full um and the meaning of the word that's used there the, the greek word that's used uh translated abundance or abundantly or full it, it can mean that which goes beyond what's necessary it's it's going beyond it means to to have more than enough so it's a word that describes something that's so abundant so abundant as to be more than what you could expect or anticipate or even more than than what you what is necessary it's more than than enough it's, now, it's fuller than full 
fuller than full is a good way to put it. And and keep in mind the context of this statement. There's he's he's making this um, he's using this sheep shepherd motif, right? So in verse nine he talks about being the gate or the door, and if anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. And he'll come in. He'll come in and go out, and he will find pasture. He'll find pasture having life in abundance suggests that this spiritual pasture into which he leads us as his sheep will will have more nourishment than we can possibly even consume it it means that jesus always supplies an overflowing measure that that he doesn't just give us enough he gives us more than enough um one one commentator then in the, the new american commentary uh says it like this that the gift of jesus is life beyond our wildest dreams is a good way of putting it and i i I don't want to miss the allusion here also to the 23rd psalm i I don't know that we mentioned that anywhere in our resources that i can remember but look at the 23rd psalm and and read how david defined the abundant life because that's what he that's what he's doing in the 23rd psalm the lord is my shepherd I have what I need. I, I lack nothing. David recognized that with God as, as his shepherd, that there was nothing he lacked. And, and he explained in, in that psalm how the Lord, as his shepherd, met all of his needs, his spiritual needs, his need for direction, his, his emotional needs, his physical needs, his, his eternal needs. And that whole psalm 23 says that, that he is more than enough. The Lord is my shepherd in him. I have everything I need. He's all I need. He's more than enough. Yes. And I, I would point to one other connection, if I can quickly, that Paul uses, Paul uses the same word abundant in Ephesians 3.20. But he, he um, and, and that's the verse that says, now to him is the end of the, his prayer. And to him who's able to do far more abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And so he's using that same word that is used in John 10, 10, but Paul adds a a couple of prefixes to the word and and he makes it what's been coined a super superlative. Translated as something like super abundantly or infinitely more, infinitely more abundantly is one way you you might put it. And it (laughs) it says simply that, that God is a God of super abundance, that there's no limits to what he can do. And Paul said uh, with that, that the ability of God to work infinitely more abundantly beyond all we ask or think is according to the power at work within us. And I think there's, there's some insight right there into what the abundant life is, that the ability to God, of God to work more abundantly than we can even imagine is according to the power that's working in us. And the power that's at work in us is the power of the resurrection, the power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that is working within us as believers. And Paul uses the present tense in this verb to show that this power is continually at work in the lives of believers, continually. And I think that gives us maybe a little more insight into what it means to live an abundant life in Christ. I mentioned earlier the shepherd and the gate imagery here. Uh, that's used in this passage. Both of them are part of the I am statements. Mm -hmm. The uh, leader guide encourages us to 
find photos, find images of an ancient sheepfold. Uh, in preparation for this podcast, I Googled, searched the internet using that phrase, ancient sheepfold image, and found plenty of images I could use to, to show to my group. But this idea of shepherd and the gate imagery, unpack that theologically for us, if you can here. First of all, let's put this in a little context um, of how it's being used by John here. Um, chapter 10 begins with a, in a context of hostility. There's, there's, a, there's some hostility going on here between the religious leaders and, and Jesus. And you see it in the previous chapters, and, and it's, 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 what, it's leading into chapter 10 and what Jesus is saying in chapter 10. But at the end of chapter 9, uh, Jesus had healed the man of his blindness, and that man who was healed of his blindness was kicked out of the synagogue. The religious leaders kicked him out of the synagogue, and so chapter 9 ends with, with this discussion about the spiritual blindness of these Jewish religious leaders who kicked this man out of the synagogue after Jesus healed him, and that's who Jesus was addressing in chapter 10. Not, not that man, but these religious leaders who were supposed to have been the spiritual shepherds of Israel. So Jesus was addressing them, addressing their spiritual blindness. And, and he, he's, putting, he's putting this in a language that they could understand. They could understand this language of shepherds, sheep stealers, sheep folds. And, and he's saying to them, you know, he's using this illustration, true shepherds feed and protect the flock. Sheep stealers steal and destroy the flock. That's what they were doing. But in verse 6, chapter 10, it says they didn't understand what Jesus was telling them. They didn't get the point that he's trying to make here. So Jesus elaborates on that, beginning in verse 7, chapter 10. He elaborates on it so they'd get, so they'd get it. Okay, so in verse 7, it says Jesus said again. So he's saying it again. I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. I'm the gate. And then he goes on a few verses later. I'm the good shepherd. So there, there's a lot of background, of Old Testament background to what he's saying here. Um, references in scripture to God being the true shepherd as opposed to the false shepherds who, who, who failed to lead and protect God's people. And I think all that is a part of the background of what Jesus is saying. I'll point, I'll point to a couple of places in the prophets. One is in Jeremiah 23. Uh, where it says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep in my pasture. And God accuses them of scattering the flock and not caring for the flock. And then God says, I, I will gather the remnant of my flock and I'll return them to the grazing land and they'll become fruitful and numerous. And then in Ezekiel 34, he says kind of the same thing. He says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who've been feeding themselves Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flock? Uh, and then God says, see, I, I, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. So again, God is saying these who should have been the spiritual shepherds of Israel have failed. They're only feeding themselves. They only care. They're only looking out for themselves. I, I myself, I, I will care for my flock. I will look for them and I will feed them. And so they will be fruitful and fed and nourished. And all of this provides the background to what Jesus is saying in John 10 and what's happening in John 10. By the way, there are a lot of other passages, plenty of other passages, even the New Testament about 
sheep and shepherds. You know, you got the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15 or uh, Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So a, a lot of that imagery in scripture, which all gives us some background into what Jesus is saying here. And then you've got this gate imagery, which you've referred to which is familiar to, to most people um, that sheep in, you know, ancient, in, in ancient days, sheep were kept in folds or pens to protect them from predators. And these, these pens, folds were uh, enclosed by stone walls typically. And there was one opening in the walls um, for the sheep to go in and out. And the shepherd would lie across this opening. He would sleep in this opening. And anyone or anything wanting to harm the sheep either had to climb over the wall or go through the shepherd and overcome the shepherd in some way, because there's, there's only one way in, only one way in, one way out. So in referring to himself as the gate, Jesus is affirming here that he's the one and only way to enter into, to become part of the family or the flock of God, that there's no other way in except by him. Jesus identifies some as not being his sheep in this passage. Is there any hope for that group of people? Why would Jesus even confront them if there was nothing they could do to be one of his sheep? Yeah, he's, he's talking to the religious leaders who had surrounded him in the temple complex there that day. He's talking to them. And he says in uh, verse 26, don't, but, but you don't believe. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. Because my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Throughout, throughout these verses, Jesus explains there's this personal connection between the sheep and the shepherd. He says, I know my sheep. They know me. Sheep hear the shepherd's voice. They know his voice. The sheep follow the shepherd's voice. But these religious leaders that he's speaking to, they didn't hear his voice so they didn't they didn't follow him they didn't follow him because they didn't have a relationship with him because they refused to believe in him and what he's saying what jesus is saying here reminds me a little bit of what he said in in the sermon on the mount when he says on that day many will say lord didn't didn't we prophesy didn't we drive out demons didn't we do miracles didn't we do all these things and jesus will say to them i never knew you Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I, I never knew you. Um, the, these were the religious leaders who, who asked Jesus a question. Verse 24. How, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, just tell us. Just tell us if you're the Messiah. And Jesus said in verse 25, well, I did tell you. I told you. And you don't believe. And uh, Jesus said, the works I do in my father's name, those, those works testify about me. And what, what's significant about what Jesus said to them was he's affirming to them that he was the Messiah. He's saying that in so many words, that he was the Messiah. His teaching and his works together plainly testified about him, plainly testified who he was. And then again, it says a second time in verse 26, but you don't believe. Jesus said to them, you don't believe. And they... they they refused to believe, not, not because there wasn't sufficient testimony or evidence to believe who Jesus was, but they saw the evidence, they heard the testimony, and they refused to believe. And you have in John's gospel, throughout his gospel, you've got a connection between seeing and believing. In many places, when Jesus turned water into wine, the disciples saw and believed. After the raising of Lazarus, people 
Um, many Jews saw Lazarus and they believed in Jesus. Thomas, the end of the book, sees and believes. And Thomas was never condemned for saying, I, I, if I don't see the marks in his hands and put my finger in, you know, in, into his scars, I'll never believe. Thomas wasn't condemned for, for saying that. But these, these religious leaders, however, they saw Jesus' works. They saw the evidence. They saw his signs, the signs, and they refused to believe. And there's no hope as long, there was no hope as long as they persisted in their unbelief. Leader guide in the options points us to the key doctrine and gives us a way to use that key doctrine during the group time. Encourages us to have the group read it aloud in unison. That key doctrine is this, those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace but shall persevere to the end. Some would call this the security of believers statement, those type of things. But the idea is for you to encourage them to read it aloud and then lead the group to discuss how that statement relates to Jesus's promise in these verses. I I'd probably point particularly to verse 28, they shall never snatch them out of his hand. And then you want to make this statement. While this is a marvelous promise, it only applies to those who have come to Christ, the sheep who know and follow his voice, which is exactly what you were talking about, Mike. Uh, and then we want to direct our attention. We're encouraged to in this idea to direct, then direct attention to the plan of salvation on the inside front cover of the personal study guide or the daily discipleship guide for that matter. matter. And then we briefly go through that information and encourage anyone who's not accepted Christ to make that decision. And then we also will encourage them or remind them where the idea includes this idea, which I think is helpful, is remind folks that you'll be available to talk to anyone who has questions following the group time. Just make yourself available. And then you'll probably want to set up a, a phone conversation or something like that. Or even if even if worship is taking place and you spend time there visiting with that person about salvation more than going to worship, I, I could see that being of greater value than us attending worship. But it does give us a way, number one, to conclude the lesson with a focus on salvation, particularly in light of that statement um, uh, in, in that we find here about no one snatching them away from my hand and this doctrinal statement, the key doctrine for this session. And it gives us a way to, to enforce and point to the plan of salvation on the inside front cover, which is in, which is in the front of every one of the Explore the Bible resources of all the adult resources. So you always have that there that you can point to and use as a means for sharing the gospel with someone. Mike, are there any other comments or key thoughts that you would have on John chapter 10? Just, just to emphasize what you just said, that here, here's another opportunity for us to, to be evangelistic in our teaching, to focus on salvation. Just another opportunity. We've, we've had several of these, haven't we? And I remember going back yeah. to to, to the lesson on Nicodemus, which was January 1st, and mm -hmm. saying, saying in that podcast, I hope this sets the tone for us this year, that we are going to be more evangelistic in our teaching. And uh, so here we go. Once again, we have an opportunity to do so. Yeah, in that particular lesson, that January 1 lesson, one of the application points for, was for us to begin to pray for someone who we knew was far from God. Yeah. Uh, we may want to contact our group members who we know are praying for somebody and say, Hey, you might want to do a 
make a special effort to invite the folks you've been praying for to this particular lesson. Because once again, we're really going to be focusing on salvation and what it means to be a follower of Christ. So that'd be another opportunity to build on what we've been doing through this quarter. Mike, thank you for being with us today. I thank you for listening to us today. If you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send me an email at dwayne.mccrary at lifeway.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at lifeway.com. And I'll do my best to answer your question. Or if I don't know the answer, I'll find the right person who can answer that question for you. Join us next week. Next week, we'll conclude our three-month journey through the first 11 chapters of John. We'll be looking at I am the resurrection out of John chapter 11. And we'll be focusing on the idea that Jesus is sovereign over all creation. Mm -hmm.